Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. If you guys don't know me, my name is Kim Mancia. I'm one of the pillar pastors here. Um, I'm also a drug and alcohol counselor. And I hear all different types of stories. And I didn't just become a drug and alcohol counselor because I didn't make mistakes. I've been clean and sober 33 years. Glory, hallelujah. Been um, complete abstinence. Uh, never used again, never drank again. But I've made plenty of bad decisions. Can anybody relate? I've mixed my Christianity, uh, godly wisdom with worldly wisdom, and I meshed them together, and I just made a hot mess. And I I went to a memorial uh, yesterday, a good friend of mine, I've known her since the beginning of my salvation, and um, man, it brought me, you know, it's so true how the Bible says that it's better to be in the house of partying, I mean the house of mourning than the house of partying, because when you mourn, you really think about what's important what life is really about. And this woman, the best way to describe her was gangster rap and lip liner. That was the best way to describe her, gangster rap and lip liner. But she had a heart, man. This this lady had a heart. Doreen was her name. Her and her family had a heart. And, um, you know, sometimes the only time you'll see Jesus is through skin suits. And she was one of those skin suits that uh, showed up in my life. And she took us in at different times in our life when we were homeless, when, we, uh, when my husband was struggling with addiction, and she didn't have anything. She didn't have anything. And she would take us in in a two-bedroom apartment with her five family members and take us in with my kids. And because of that act of kindness, even in my mixing my worldly uh, thinking with uh, godly thinking, God began to do a work in my life, and look where, I'm, where I am today. And look where Julio is today, and maybe he's not with us anymore, but he ran the race, and he fought the good fight, and he's in heaven today. And I praise God for that, that someone took the time, that, um, that they didn't judge us, didn't look at all our problems, but took the time to really look at our lives. You know, uh, this will be the last, the last Sunday that we're going to talk about wisdom of the series, and The last five we talked about was one day with God is better than a thousand anywhere else. A handful with tranquility is better than two-fifths with affliction of spirit. There is something better than the good life, the best life, that's Jesus Christ. And what was my favorite uh, sermon was a good name is better than gold and silver. And this is part two. It is better to obtain wisdom and knowledge than gold and silver. And... uh, you know, some of you can probably relate to, as I was talking about mixing godly with, with the world and the fight that takes place. And I just wanted to give you a visual before I start my message because I love visuals. I learn better from visuals. If you guys can uh, go ahead and run that video and tell me which one are you.
Lord, I just come before you this morning, God. Lord, I just pray, God, for every person that's here, from the youngest youth to the oldest adult father. Lord, I pray, God, that we would seek you for uh, godly wisdom as life has taken us back and forth at different times when we feel that pull of life, of drugs, of alcohol, the pride of life, of money, children, trials, death, God. I pray, God, that you would penetrate the heart, Father. Lord, that we would know that you're there in the midst of every trial. I pray, God, that you would open every eye that they can see through spiritual eyes as those that are here, some of them are blind. Remove the scales from their eyes, God, that they would see and step out of denial of what this life has to offer and where it goes to. Father, that we would choose life today. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't that powerful? That's a sermon in itself right there. Um, yeah, this stuff bugs me. Put it at the cross. So Second Chronicles, we're going to start off with. It's also in your bulletin if you don't have your word. Second Chronicles. Solomon was a man that was wise, but he wasn't always wise. He made a lot of bad decisions. He was the richest man and the wisest man in the word of God, but he also had all these concubines. He had the pride of life, and he's the one that said there's nothing new under the sun. No matter what you do, you can gain a lot of riches and still feel empty inside. You can uh, use and, and use alcohol as a means of numbing, but it doesn't fill the void. You can even use it as a means of partying, but eventually the party runs out. You know, I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong. For some, I'm not going to fight that if alcohol is wrong for some people. I know with me, complete abstinence, because I see where this world is going, and I see what it did to my family. And so that's just what I do is uh, complete abstinence. So Second Chronicles 1.7, it says, The night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And in verse 10, he says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge so that I can lead these people into the right way. No one could rule this great nation without your help. He turns to godly wisdom. Nobody can rule this godly nation, I mean, rule this nation without help. And if you go down to 11, 12, it says, God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people, you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to, uh, to properly govern my people. I will certainly give, it, give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king had before you and will ever have in the future. You know, Ecclesiastes 9.18, it says, Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. Proverbs 16.16, which I'm going to start off in in my message, to get wisdom is much uh, better than getting gold. To get understanding should be chosen instead of silver. Proverbs 16.16. Man, now I know why Pastor did five-week series. There is so much nuggets of wisdom you can get from God that we leave out. You know, last week he said the wisdom produces good decisions. Uh, Second, it promotes prosperity. I'm going to go on to number three. Wisdom always edifies. And if you look in your Bible at Proverbs 14.1, Now, I just want to give a little disclosure. Men, don't get this twisted, but I just want to give you a disclosure. 
it says, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And when it's talking about the house, you can probably relate to the house of thinking that I'm, it's actually my house, that I built it. You ever put a woman in a house and she puts the pictures up and everything? But when it talks about the word house, it's talking about household. What comes into your house? What, what comes in there? Are you bringing edification in your house? Are you building up your household and those in your household? household? It talks about women, but this is also for men. It's just using an analogy. These, this verse uses women as an example, but it's not just for women. It's for everyone. The wise person also looks for, for ways to build. The foolish person destroys. And you think, well, how do I destroy my house? You know, I got a house. Everything's great. Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you asked. How do you destroy constantly angry? Anybody being a house where you can feel the tension? Nobody has to say anything. You're walking on eggshells. You come home and the dog's hiding. The kids are hiding. Everybody's hiding. You can feel it in your house. Proverbs 21:19, and I don't know why it talks about women because I know some men who are like this, but it says, it is better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. To live in a desert, what's quarrelsome mean? You know what quarrelsome means? It means ready. You're waiting for that spouse to walk through the door and you're ready to just come against. When they say black, you say white. Ready to come against it. It also says a nagging wife. What is nagging? My husband used to say, you're such a nag. I think, no, I'm, not. I'm just telling you the truth. But I realized, you know what a nag is? It's constantly harassing. Constantly. It's almost like that, that fly that buzzes around you and you're going like this constantly. Nobody's listening and you just go on and on because we're not seeking godly wisdom. We're not praying. We're not saying, God, you touch their lives. We're trying to shame someone into change. What's wrong with you? You're stupid or something? Stop doing that. And they're not listening anymore. Godly wisdom. How about this? Wanting to always be in control. When things don't go right, it ruins your whole day. Always trying to be in control. Everything's got to go right. Everything's got to go as planned. And when it doesn't happen, you, the tension in the air. Dominating over others. Anybody here dominators? I, I get it. When you have kids, you have to bring structure and you have to let your kids. But some of you have adults. And you're trying to dominate. You're trying to change somebody because they're not at the level. They don't think how you think. Because the world would be a better place if everybody was just like you. That's why you would just all follow my role. Everything would go good. Dominating. How about this one? No one likes to talk about this. I grew up in a house just like this. I know my son can relate. Don't say anything. <laughs> Being sarcastic. When nothing is said in truth, everything is sarcastic. If you look up in the Webster's Dictionary... Look up the word sarcasm. It says a sharp and often mocking or ironic utterance designed to cut and to give pain. Sarcasm. Nothing's ever said how it's supposed to be. You, you just use everything as a joke to cover it over. But what you're really saying is you're cutting. There you go again. Going to burn the rice again? You do it all the time. <laughs> Different things. Anybody relate to a sarcastic home? This is something that I, 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 I take full I raised my kids. Everything was a cut. Nothing was truth. Everything was a joke. 
And it was really hard to change that to find what truth is to get us to a place to actually communicate and to say something like, when you do this, it makes me feel. Who does that in your home? You know, I I know I'm angry right now, but I really fear that you're going to leave. That's where my anger is coming from. We don't do that, right? We usually just lash out with anger. How about this? Allowing anger as a free reign in your household. You hear doors slam, people yelling, screaming, everybody's angry. You allow, see, anger is a healthy emotion, but the root of it is fear. And so when you walk around with just the rage and you're at from zero to 10 quickly, what do you fear? But we don't say that. We deal with it with sarcasm, the silent treatment, shutting, slamming doors. Anybody relate? Um, The wise person always builds. So how do you build? How do I build my house? Okay, I know how I tore it down. Now how do we build it? Blessings with prayer. Whenever I see something not going my way or something going on in our house, I begin to pray. Let's pray about this. We got to pray. I start changing the atmosphere. And we can feel it. I work, in a, I work at Pitch's Detention Center, and you can feel when there was a fight that just happened. You can feel when drugs are brought into the dorm. We can feel it. You can feel it in the air. Nobody's saying anything, but you can feel the tension. And so before we go in there, we start praying. Um, some of us that are Christians will, will pray and say, God, reveal to us what holds us bound. Lord, you take control. Holy Spirit, go before us. We start commanding the legion of angels to surround that dorm. And they don't even know what hit them. And all of a sudden, the tension goes down because we do it through prayer. Um, also, encouraging with positive attitude. Are you encouraging with a positive attitude? Or are you using sarcasm? Inspiring with constructive words. Do you inspire people with constructive words? Affirming with hugs and physical touch. I know some of you say, well, I was raised in a house. We didn't do that. Uh, they showed their love by, um, by just providing. But you know they did a study on, on monkeys? And what they did is they, I don't know if some of you remember this. It was in National Geographic. They got a monkey and put him in a cage and what the, they only gave him a, a, little, a little blanket, a soft blanket. And the, the, the monkey was so scared, and the only type of physical relational touch he got was from that blanket. And he would hold it and rub it and rub it. And then what they did is they gave, uh, gave, gave um, a, wire, a wire structure a bottle, and they gave another wire structure a bottle. And one of them had a cloth, and one of them just had the wire. And they let the monkey loose, and he ran to the warm cloth. And he grabbed it and put it over his head, and he was drinking because the warmth. So can you imagine? So that's a monkey. Can you imagine as adults, as relational beings, and no one comes up to you and says, good job, and gives you a hug? Can you imagine that feeling of what that must feel like? It's, it's needed. You probably think you don't, but it's needed. It, it, it softens the heart. Um, creating an atmosphere of acceptance, love, and joy. Things aren't going your way. You don't believe what your kids are doing. You don't like what people are doing. But acceptance means that you don't accept their behavior, but you accept them. I love you, but I don't accept what you're doing. I have a loved one that's struggling right now, and I I just went out to, to go where he's at, and I said, are you ready to get help? He said, no. Gave him a burger. I love you. Left him out there with a suitcase. Hardest thing to do. But I I want him to know that I accept him and love him more than anything. Knowing that, no matter what anybody's doing, giving him the acceptance and the love. 
You know, I watched my friend's memorial yesterday, and her boys would not even sit down. They stayed close to their mother. They wouldn't leave. They just stood up by their mother because they were so close to their mother. Family meant everything to them. They wouldn't leave that site. They wouldn't go down to, the, uh, to where everybody was at. They stayed right by her side until the service was over. So it's important. You know, something, if you've ever read the five love languages, um, five love languages is um, people respond different, and one of them is physical touch. Some people respond, my husband was physical touch. That doesn't necessarily mean sex, but just that you hold, somebody's holding your hand, somebody's rubbing your back, somebody's hugging you, just constantly, that's how they respond. That's how they communicate. Somebody else's love language is acts of service. That's me. Don't hug me, just help me. That's me, acts of service. Get the mop, help me, wash the dish. Man, that, I respond good to that love language. Some of you... Uh, Love language is words of affirmation. Just say thank you. Just say I'm proud of you. Those words of affirmation mean everything to that person, and they respond better to that. Some of you, uh, another love language is quality time. Quality time is saying, I I'm busy, you know, come on, let's go. Yeah, talk to me while I'm going. That's not quality time. Quality time is sitting down and giving somebody eye contact and spending time with them. That's how they respond. Another one is gifts. My oldest loves gifts. Does it? I'm not talking about expensive, but just the fact that you thought of him, it's like a candy store. He loves to give gifts. He loves to receive gifts. He loves the finer things. He just loves that. He responds really good. And if I want him to do something, I just got to bring him a little gift. <laughs> just got to bring him. And it's, he's happy. But this is how you learn to build your house. Some of you, your love language is physical touch, and the people around you, their love language is acts of service, their love language is, some, is words of affirmation, and you're trying to just give them gifts, or you're trying to give them what you respond or physical touch. Everybody is different. Everybody is different, so knowing, affirming, understanding what their love language is, meeting the physical and emotional and relational needs of others um, for Husbands and wives, I hear this all the time. When people get angry, I'm going to withhold affection from you. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. You know what that is? It's passive aggressive. Inside, you're, you're, you're angry and say, no, I'm good, but you're not talking. You can feel the tension. Well, 1 Corinthians 7, 3, 4, I know you married people are going to love this. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, 4, it says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. The husband, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps for mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer, to come together again, because Satan will not, will, will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So I just want to ask the married, so why are you withholding affection if it leaves the room for the enemy to come in and to come into your household? It is something that we have no excuse for, and that's something I believe strong when I was married. And you're thinking, well, how do you know? Well, I was married for 31 years. And believe me, um, it was a hard road of recovery for my husband through his addiction. But I've learned a lot, and we learned a lot about each other. And I knew what, 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 what he communicated best, and he knew how I communicate. And we became 
the best road dogs together. We, we would do, uh, uh, whenever we'd have, on Valentine's Day, we'd have these couples dinners. We always won because they'd always ask you, how well do you know your spouse? And we, I knew them like anybody else. I was with them since I was 12 and 13. So I knew what made him work, what didn't work. He knew what made me tick the same way. Uh, treating others with attention and respect. So you guys, I'm telling you, the fourth one is brings protection. Brings protection. The fourth one, Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. I'm telling you, some of the decisions I made were consequences of what I've done. And um, I got myself in a place that there were in dangerous situations, in harmful substances, used substances instead of going to God in destructive circumstances because of the fact. You know, one thing I, I, I used to do, I used to like to drink because it kind of eased up who I was when I was growing up. And here, let me give you a little bit of wisdom. Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 and this is not talking about someone who has a drink, and it stops, and it's done. This is talking about somebody who uses it to numb. And it's talking to the alcoholic. And it says in Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, it says, Who has woes? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. You know what linger means? You're hovering. I got to have one more. Got to just do a little bit more. You've seen it in people's lives as they begin to stay there. And it says, who go, who go to sample bowls and mixed wine, do not gaze at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, it's talking about the craving. When it goes down smoothly and your brain goes, yum. Because that's what happens. Like, yeah, that's it. It's, but what does it say right after that? I'm going to give you some godly wisdom. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. You know, you thought she looked good, and then you woke up after the beer was gone. I was like, woo. Hello. And your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be one sleeping on the high winds and lying on top of rigging. You know what rigging is? The ropes, the, uh, the chains. And you're lying on top of them, and you're sitting there, and it says, they hit me. You will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Bondage. It started off with just the sparkling, the red wine. It looked good. And then before you know it, I'm telling you, part of it is genes, part of it is uh, coping skill learned, but be careful if it runs in your family because that sparkling wine might not hit you now. It's a progressive disease and it's chronic. It'll eventually sting like a viper. Um, Proverbs 14, 16 says, Wise people are careful and avoid trouble. Be careful for people who bring evil, those who tempt us to sin, temptation, people who pressure us to do things that can, can cause loss or damage. Wisdom will save you from the way of the wicked, Proverbs 2.10. How about this one? Deceptive emotions. Some of you react to your emotions. Oh, it's cold. I don't want to go to church. 
Oh, I'm mad. You know, I'll show you. You react quickly. Most of us are impulsive. But you know what we learn in recovery? Be still and know that he is God. Some of you are so used to doing something, and when anybody calls, what do I do? This is going on. Be still. Be still so that you can make wise decisions and you're used to being impulsive. Be still. Don't let the emotions dictate your, um, your actions. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. What feels good is not always beneficial. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it's not in your outline. Some of these scriptures aren't. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's always good for you. Think about that. The last wisdom is uh, it leads to happiness. Wisdom leads to, I have such a serenity today because I started making less bad decisions. When I get up in the morning, I, I pray and I seek God. Lord, what do you want me to say when I go to work? What do you want me to do? I even go to God and say, what do you want me to wear, Lord? How do I represent you, God? Let your name be glorified. How do I say, God, something I said, did that come out wrong? If you know me, I, I, you know this world today is so, um, so disconnected that everything is done in big words on an email or a text. You can misrepresent that. And so if you, if you ever get an email, a text from me, it says, K, all right, K, got it. Because I don't want to be misrepresented because when I do, I stick my foot in my mouth and someone doesn't understand what I really meant to say. And so I like to connect. And we're living in a world that doesn't connect anymore. So it leads to happiness. Proverbs 3, 13. It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. True happiness is not found in the circumstance, but in the interpretation of the circumstance. In 1993, my son passed away in, in, a, in a car accident. A lady had run a stop sign. She was a DUI driver, and her license was suspended, and she hit my car. If I would have looked at that circumstance, it would have taken me on a run. But what I did is I looked through spiritual eyes and I began to pray and I asked God, give me wisdom. And the Lord gave us wisdom to go to court and to ask the judge to, for leniency because she was, gonna, she was being tried for vehicular manslaughter. Because her kids didn't deserve her going to jail. She made the mistake. She didn't set out to kill my son. She just thought she wanted to drive home. Some of you have had made those mistakes. And thank God nobody was in your way when you decided to drive under the influence and so that's, that's why I can get a godly perspective in that. We were also, there was a little girl, and we were able to donate her, uh, my son's heart to that little girl because that little girl would have died that night. Is it because God didn't hear my prayer? Or is it because uh, she, as much as I was praying for my son to live, there was a little girl's mother who was praying for her daughter to have a heart? Godly wisdom. Didn't go, don't get caught up in your circumstance. Say, God, what are you trying to show me in this situation? So how to get wisdom? Number one, it says, begins with a fear of God. Having a healthy reverence and fear of God. God, I fear you, but with a reverence, I respect you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs 9.10. Two, please God. Everything you do, and whatever you do, whether you talk to somebody, who you're with, where you go, is this pleasing to God? James 1, 5 through 6 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in, 
is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettling as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. James 1, 5 through 6. So if you're going before God and you're asking God for wisdom in a relationship, and then you're going over here and they're giving you something else, and you're going over here and you're going over here, you're tossed to the wind. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But when God, if, if someone else gives you confirmation, it's already what you know. They're not going to give you something out of the left field. It's something that you know inside yourself. Number three, learn from your experiences. I always say this. when you, Let's say you fell down, or uh, I don't call you a failure that you made a mistake. Some of you are going to fall down over and over. We call it an opportunity for growth. What did you learn from it? I don't count the relapses. It's what you learned from it. I don't look at the jackets of my, the inmates at, at the jail I work at because I want to say, do you want help? Yes, I want help. Okay, let's go. I help them from this day forward. I don't want to look at the rap sheet. It's the same thing. It's an opportunity for growth. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Number four, wise wisdom. Being around wise people, mentors, sponsors, people that know God, have been serving God a long time. Be around wise people. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20. Be friends with those who are wise and you will become wise. Choose fools to be your friends and you will have trouble. Proverbs 13.20. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good habits. Bad company corrupts good habits. And lastly, number five, buy it. You're thinking, well, I thought the gospel was free. You know what the word buy means? It means to acquire possession, ownership, or rights to the use of services can also mean to obtain in exchange for something often at at a sacrifice. Obtain it, buy it, get it. It says in Proverbs 23, 23, true wisdom, learning, and understanding are worth paying money for. They are worth far too much to to ever sell. Buy it, obsess it, get a hold of it, possess it. I'm telling you, the wisdom of God will never fail you. Even though it looks like awkward, it's the wrong way to go, When you seek godly wisdom, it will not affect you. We started off with Proverbs 16, 16. I'm going to end with this. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight than silver? I don't know about you, but I'm I'm through making these mistakes. I'm through making these mistakes. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love, In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.